KHOL. This is Jackson Unpacked. Our podcast on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. I'm news director Tyler Pratt. Coming up on today's show, the school year is wrapping up and amid a crisis of affordability in Jackson Hole, Teton County teachers are grappling with how to make ends meet. Sometimes this means living an hour away from classrooms. Any money we save in rent, we make up for in the cost of the commute every day and the stress. And later, in an era of bans being enacted across the country, are national politics influencing long-held values in the cowboy state? I feel like we're losing some of that kind of fierce independence that we traditionally had and that I think set us apart from from everyone else, gave us a really unique identity. These stories and more coming up on Jackson Unpacked. Cultura, gastronomía, celebraciones. For the first time in two decades, Teton County has a local TV news station. And it's devoted entirely to the Spanish-speaking community. But in a region that struggles with affordability, it's a challenge getting the international operation off the ground. KHOL's Hannah Mersbach reports. If we can sit here... Alicia Unger is setting up her iPhone on a tripod. She's preparing for an interview on Jackson housing issues for her local current affairs show, Pulso Jackson. When you have a business with no money, that's the way you have to do. You have to be very creative. She founded Toto TV earlier this year, the only Spanish-language local news station in Wyoming and Idaho. Unger has worked in broadcasting for 25 years for big networks like Telemundo and Univision. They have all these big equipments and lightings and the whole crew goes there. They have so many options to have a great shot. But no, I just do it with my cell phone and um, so far so good. (laughs) Since February, Toto TV has aired two local newscasts a day, along with other Latino-focused cultural programming, featuring international shows like Akia Stoy, which discusses issues like migration, art, and politics in the Latin world. The important thing here is to inform the community. That's the main goal. Unger says she's been dreaming of the station since she moved to Jackson Hole a few years ago. It's estimated that roughly 30% of Teton County's population is Latino, but there are few local news options in Spanish. That concerned me. Because if you don't have information, the right information, it's difficult for the community to integrate. So Unger went looking for some help to get a Spanish language station off the ground. And I said, you know what? Let's do it. Unger's former boss, Fernando Gonzalez, lives in Los Angeles, where he launched a Spanish language TV newscast in the late 90s. And he's also been the Spanish language announcer for the Lakers for three decades. When she called me and I made my decision, when the time came to renew my contract, I told, you know what, I'm going to quit. Gonzalez and Unger founded Toto TV together, and right now they're funding the operation themselves while they look for investors. I took my 401k uh, funds, and she did the same thing. 
Faced with high rent costs in Jackson, the station doesn't have an office in town, and they're still on the hunt for Spanish-speaking reporters in the area. So right now, most of the content is being filmed and produced in a studio in Mexico City. It's more convenient for our budget to produce it there. But now with this modern world, it doesn't matter where you are. As long as you take care of the community and bring the needed information. Gonzalez says they hope to find local reporters. But for now, they're working on bringing employees like news anchor Alejandro Villanueva from Mexico to Jackson. But he's struggling to find housing. It's been difficult, to be honest. We've been looking at a single room. It's like 2500 or something like that. And wow, on a reporter's salary, that's not going to make it. <laughs> he says he's staying optimistic that something will come through. Villanueva, who's in his 20s, says he believes in the news they're producing, which is also available on YouTube, Roku, and social media. I think it's very dynamic. It offers some opportunities that maybe other media don't have, like being able to, to show the people what's going on. Dozens of people from Jackson's Latino community recently got together at the Center for the Arts for a night of music, dance, and fundraising for Toto TV. And Villanueva says Spanish-speaking residents are welcoming the station. I mean, we're basically creating a new place where Latino people can have their voices heard. One fundraiser attendee is Raquel Zabata Ramirez. She's a house and office cleaner in Jackson who mostly speaks Spanish and says it feels good to be represented on TV. KHOL's Emily Cohen translates. Nos sentimos incluidos. We feel included. I think we have achieved something impressive as a Latino community, especially here in Jackson. And it's nice to be able to see a channel in my language, on the news, events, and more. But Toto TV still faces some roadblocks getting the community on board. Founder Alicia Unger says it's hard to get advertisers and convince residents to do on-camera interviews since the region hasn't had local TV news for decades. We have to show them who we are. We have to teach them what television can do for them. And right now, it seems like they don't have very clear, well, if for 20 years we have been survived without television, what well, we need it now. Unger says the launch has been tougher than she expected. But now that they're on air, she's hopeful the station will become a staple for Jackson Hole News. They say you have to be crazy sometimes to change the world. Toro TV is available in Espanol on Channel 24 on both sides of the Tetons in Wyoming and Idaho. Hannah Mersbach, KH12 News. A lack of affordable housing could be hurting education in Jackson. With home prices at an all-time high, Teton Science Schools is having trouble retaining staff, and students are feeling the effects. KHOL student intern Ella Wallace is a graduating senior at the school's Mountain Academy. As part of our series on housing, employment, and affordability in the region, she files this report. 
Carrie Keating is an English and history teacher who is wrapping up her first year at the Mountain Academy of Teton Science Schools. I moved to Wyoming for the job at this school. We thought it would be wonderful. She says they thought they would be able to get housing through the school. But they didn't have any available, so it was a bit of a scramble to find housing, and Victor was, affordable's not really the right word, but less expensive than the Jackson side. Keating is one of the many Mountain Academy commuters from Idaho. There are some pros to living over there for sure, but any money we save in rent, we make up for in the cost of the commute every day and the stress. Students, like senior Cameron Cross, make the same hour drive too, but she says she doesn't mind. My parents discovered the school and thought it was a really cool school with a great environment with place-based learning, and that was the driving force that I guess made it worth it to drive the pass every day. But Jackson's affordability issues present students with other challenges, like teacher turnover. This year, some students at the Mountain Academy of Teton Science Schools were without a science teacher. A biology instructor left for another job just a couple of months before finals. Senior Grace Regan says it's been difficult for her. It's sort of been that way for as long as I've been at Mountain Academy, and I think it, it provides a challenge in that I, it, you know, you can sort of feel like lost with all these new teachers and it can kind of feel like there's a disconnection uh, there. Turnover has plagued Teton Science Schools in recent years. In 2021, the educational nonprofit faced a flood of resignations, citing leadership issues. That was right around the time Sean Kelly took over. He is now the CEO. You have people turn over, you can lose consistency, you can lose uh, stability, you can lose institutional knowledge, and you can start having some fraying at the edges of, of an organization if you don't really work hard to retain that, that culture. Now, in addition to trying to bolster leadership in the organization, he's faced with tackling Jackson's skyrocketing housing prices. Across the region's private and public schools, dozens of teachers have left in recent years. According to the Jackson Hole News and Guide, Teton County School District faced 66 resignations last year. Our competition is legitimately other communities that are, that are um, I don't want to say just as wild because they're not, but still have great access to the outdoors and still great access, but, but actually can afford to live there, buy a house, and, and plant some roots. Kelly says a lot of teachers want to work for Teton Science Schools, but Jackson's high cost of living makes it too much of a burden. And often, private school teachers don't make as much as in the public system. One of the initiatives that we really need to take very seriously at Mount Academy and at Teton Science Schools is how do we provide housing? Because housing is the major issue uh, facing employees. As Teton Science Schools grapples with how to keep staff, Senior Grace Regan says she's grateful for the teachers who have stayed. There are a few that have been around for a long time, and I think that that has been helpful because that provides sort of a little like support system almost. Officials across Jackson and Teton County are working on the housing issues in the region, but immediate solutions, like more affordable homes, are still years down the line, meaning Teton Science Schools may need to get creative to help keep teachers in classrooms. For KHOL News, I'm Ella Wallace. Thank you.
If you're just joining us, you're listening to Jackson Unpacked on KHOL, where we showcase reporting and interviews on news, music, and culture in Jackson Hole and around the Mountain West. New episodes of Jackson Unpacked drop every other Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. I'm Tyler Pratt. It's been a month of civic discourse in Jackson. A Broadway play about the U.S. Constitution performed by locals has spawned conversations citywide in schools and at the Center for the Arts, all about the founding document and how we talk politics with each other. It was sponsored in part by the Wyoming Humanities Council, the longest-running humanities council in the nation, which works to strengthen Wyoming's democracy, in their words, by creating an environment of understanding, inspiration, creativity, wisdom, and idea sharing. Likely a challenging task in an increasingly polarized political climate. The council's chief operating officer, Sean Reese, recently stopped by the KHOL studios, and we talked about some of the big current issues facing Teton County and Wyoming, and the cultural capital the state offers the rest of the country. But we kicked off our conversation with the question, what exactly are the humanities? It's something that I've actually struggled to describe. In a real academic sense, it is philosophy and ethics and theology and literature and um, psychology, anthropology. But on a on a more basic level, these are things that help us understand ourselves and our place in the world. So if you think about art, art is about expression and the humanities provide understanding. And so we work with scholars, a lot of historians. We work with museums, libraries, cultural organizations. Uh, but ultimately, our mission is about democracy. Our mission is to strengthen Wyoming's democracy by creating an environment of understanding and wisdom and inspiration and idea sharing, using all of these different tools from the past, from literature, from art, to help create an environment where we can speak with one another and understand each other's differences and points of view and come together and solve complex problems in our communities. You know, part of democracy is having your voice heard. And Teton County is arguably the liberal stronghold of a red state. Uh, And the argument here is that Wyoming doesn't often pay attention to it when it comes to politics. So how can this change? The relationship between Jackson and Wyoming is it's Yeah, it's a really interesting one. For as much as the rest of the state would like to say Jackson's not part of it, it very much is. And it's um, one of the biggest revenue generators for the state. For us as an organization, Wyoming Humanities, we've, we've had an office here in Jackson for a long time. And there are so many thoughtful people, influential people who come to Jackson that we're able to talk to in in our podcast, What's Your Why? Really nowhere else in the state gets that intellectual capital that that Jackson does. I think there's a perception that folks in Jackson don't understand the rest of the state, and I'd say it goes both both directions. But ultimately we're we're all one and the same and I think need to to do a better job not just geographically understanding one another, but in many ways. So you talk about cultural capital. Your organization also promotes cultural awareness, and we're living through an era of bans. 
across the country. Here in Wyoming, we recently passed a trans sports and abortion law. And we've even floated like a don't say gay belt. Is this the narrative that you see for Wyoming? I appreciate you asking that. From my experience with Wyoming, most of its history, it's been kind of a very libertarian place. Live and let live. Um, you don't have to necessarily agree with other people, but let them live their lives. And that seems to be changing. It seems that the the national tenor and national talking points and national initiatives are finding their way into Wyoming discourse. And I feel like we're losing some of that kind of fierce independence that we traditionally had and that I think set us apart from from everyone else, gave us a really unique identity. And I, I worry that we're losing that in getting swallowed up in some of these national discussions. What role can your organization play in changing that? That's really what we're about. I think it starts with thinking about what is our identity, what it makes Wyoming tick, what is our sense of community, what's our connection to the land, what's our ability to persist and manage change, and identifying those as unique attributes. How do we amplify those and do a better job listening to others and expressing our own opinions in a very civil way to create that environment of, of idea sharing and, and wisdom and understanding that is fundamental to our democracy. Thinking about here in Teton County, another goal of your organization is enhancing the creative economy. Now, this is one of the most expensive places to live in the entire country. So how can we attract economic creative growth if this place is somewhat unlivable for some people? This county, Teton County, has a unique ability to help the creative economy elsewhere in the state. And I'll come back to what's happening here in, in Teton County. But if you look at the rest of the state... There are some really great things going on. We have um, we have a number of very uh, cool documentary companies. We have um, a burgeoning arts and crafts scene. Even looking at, at the Wind River Reservation, there are a lot of things going on. So for Teton County to understand what's happening around the state and, and supporting that, that is one piece of it. As it relates to Teton County, it's uh, it's such a unique animal, and, and there are so many cool things happening. I think it's important for the rest of Wyoming to see the cool things happening here and take inspiration and taking it back out into the rest of the state. But yeah, there are serious issues with housing and workforce that really need to have some deep conversations here about that. But we've been able to support a number of, of great projects here in, in Teton County, working with the Jackson Hole Historical Society and Museum, various groups here at the Jackson Center for the Arts. And, and we're doing our best to share those with the rest of the state as well. Well, as the longest running Humanities Council in the country, what are your plans for the future? We are going to be embarking soon on a new strategic plan, trying to recalibrate our, our purpose, understand how we can best serve the state. So I think check in with the state of Wyoming, what makes the most sense for the application of philosophy and history and literature to help Wyoming as it goes through some crossroads. You know, the, the economy is changing. 
we talked about earlier, the politics and the tenor of civil discourse is changing. So what is the best way for us to be able to help Wyoming navigate through this while um, strengthening its democracy and creating an environment of understanding and wisdom and inspiration? One of the things I read about y'all is how you navigate our boom and bust culture. So you might be planning for something and then we, we boom out, you know, and you got to plan again. How do you, how do you pivot and navigate in this economy? Yeah, that's, um, that's a good question. You know, before COVID, we were thinking about what is the value of the arts and cultural sector to Wyoming in terms of how many jobs there are or increase in local taxes or contribution to the GDP, you know, like a very heady economic thing. But now we're thinking more as in terms of the worth of Wyoming's um, culture, Wyoming's intellectual capital, uh, Wyoming's built environment, um, which kind of touches in historic preservation, which is also part of the humanities. So thinking less in terms of the quantifiable ROI but more, how do we think of these things as part of our worth? We have natural resource worth. We have infrastructure worth. But how do we add on the intellectual capital, the strength of our civic communities, adding on our heritage and finding worth in that? So kind of changing the, the language that we use and the perspective that we use as all fundamental pieces to the cumulative worth of a state. That's Sean Reese, Chief Operating Officer with the Wyoming Humanities Council. If you're looking to learn more about civic engagement, culture, community, history, literature, and art in the Cowboy State, they have several podcasts like What's Your Why that you can download. And they offer monthly grants aimed at fostering community engagement. You can find out more at thinkwhy.org. That's thinkwhy.org. You're listening to Jackson Unpacked. Competition can be fierce in Jackson Hole. Many locals and visitors alike often have a penchant for the extreme in the snowy season. Even as the summer months approach, one Jackson resident has his sights set on breaking skiing records in a few years to become the first Jordanian athlete to compete in the 2026 Winter Olympics and help add diversity to an overwhelmingly white sport. KHOL's Emily Cohen has more. Sharif Zawida is no stranger to adventure. He skied the Grand Teton on snowblades, a short ski, just for the bragging rights. He spent three winters living outside in a children's teepee in the woods at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort because it was a free place to live. And now he's training for a new challenge, Olympic alpine ski racing. piece of it being I have no race background. You know, I ski really well. I've done a bunch of ridiculous things on snowblades around this valley, but that's not the same as racing. There may be a few U.S. Olympic hopefuls in Jackson Hole, one of the country's premier skiing destinations and training grounds. But if all goes according to plan, Zawida will compete for the Jordanians, becoming the first from the country to compete in the Winter Games. If I get to be that person and and again, fuse my heritage and my passion. I don't know that there's many other people better suited for this one destiny. 
He grew up in Seattle, the son of Jordanian immigrants. Three of my four grandparents are from the same village. You can trace back my lineage, like 16 grandfathers all in that same village. Zawida says the skiing bug bit him at a young age. He learned to ski with his family. He later moved to Jackson Hole for a season after college, and in a tale as old as the Tetons, he fell in love with Wyoming and stayed. He now has lived here for two decades. Here I am at 43, still skiing every day. But as a Jordanian growing up in the U.S., Zawida says he's often felt out of place in the ski world. Now there's definitely more diversity in Jackson than there was 20 years ago when I moved here. But 20 years ago, brown people skiing at Jackson Hole wasn't a thing. Zawida's friend Benjamin Alexander is a skier from Jamaica who competed in the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. He says more countries typically participate in the summer games. So there's a huge disparity between the two, predominantly because of geographic necessities, because of cost, equipment, institutionalized knowledge that's required to make the equipment work. Alexander is trying to expand participation in winter sports and diversify skiing. He's working with the Jamaican Ski Federation to bring the next generation of Jamaican kids to the Youth Winter Olympics in 2024. If you look at where most people of color are based in this country, they're in urban centers. They're unlikely to have parents that ski, um, and they're also unlikely to have parents with a high level of disposable income. He's inspired by new faces in prominent positions in the sport. And so I think what has to happen is there need to be more ambassadors, such as Sharif, such as myself, that prove that this thing is exciting, that it's interesting. Zawida's partner, Luis Sanso, agrees. I do think the Olympics represents a a certain group of people who have training as embedded in their socioeconomic structure and being able to be be the best. So the big question is, is the Olympics representing that population or is representing um, a place where everyone comes from all parts of the world to to gather and to to compete that creates diversity and and bridges our differences with sports. Sanzo says in the years they've been together, she's seen Zawida take on all kinds of challenges. He will have many goals in his life that seem crazy to people. They're not crazy at all to me. That's just who Sharif is. So Wida says his biggest obstacle in making the Olympics is his age. He's older than his competition. And in his first race this past March in Big Sky, Montana, he fell on his first day. He finished 20 seconds behind the top skiers. You know, the first race I did in Big Sky, I was going up against a bunch of 17, 18 and 19 year old kids. They're just stronger and better. And, you know, I ski 100 days a year. I wouldn't think that skiing a one-minute race course would make me tired, but my legs were burning. I was breathing heavy at the end. Um, And so I think there's a bit of training that needs to happen from a strength training perspective, not just the ski training. It's not just the physical differences between him and his teenage competition, but also the challenge of finding the time to fit it all into his life. I own a business. I have a relationship, you know, I have another job teaching skiing here in Jackson, trying to balance all of that and have any kind of life and then focus on racing. It's just a lot to to juggle. But with two and a half years to train, Zawida thinks he has a good shot. And if he makes the Winter Olympics in Italy in 2026, there will be lots of Wyomingites and Jordanians cheering him on. For KHOL, I'm Emily Cohen. That's it today on Jackson Unpacked. Original music for the show is performed by the local band Strumbucket. I'm Tyler Pratt. This is KHOL, Jackson Hole Community Radio.